Well, dear congregation, I would ask you please to turn your very prayerful attention this morning to 2 Kings and the 15th chapter. We arrive in this chapter this morning, and with the Lord's help, we shall consider these 13 verses that I read to you just a moment ago in your hearing. And I pray that as we come now to God's word, we will seek, and it's very important we listen to the sermon right at the outset, because very often what I have to say in the introduction is paramount to understanding the passage. That's why we need to make sure that we are ready to hear. And we've turned off our phones. We have no text messages coming in, nothing like that. And we, we put aside the cares and the concerns of the week and we lay everything before the Lord. This is the Lord's time now that we should give him. I want to just read briefly the first few verses as we come to this passage. There are so many vital lessons for us to learn about worship to God. And we will see how God judges those this morning once again who would have what Paul speaks about, a will worship. Some of you have often commented and said to me how I often speak of a self-styled kind of Christian life. Well, we have so much of that today. It's prevalent. You know, we are God's creatures. And he has called us to worship him. To worship him is to give him his due. To give him his honor. To give him what the word actually means is to give him his worthyship. And we cannot give him his worthyship in a way that we think we should give it to him. He tells us how we should worship him how we should honor him. To know God, my friends, is to worship him. You cannot begin to know God. You cannot begin to know him except he reveal himself. And God reveals himself by his word. And therefore, when he reveals himself, he reveals how we should worship him. So we're going to learn some lessons this morning from this chapter on true worship and the consequence of not worshiping him aright. And we see some of that, so much of that today, don't we? So we begin verse 1. In the twenty and seventh year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, began Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. Sixteen years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned two and fifty years in Jerusalem. It's a very long period of time. And his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, save that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. And the Lord smote the king so that he was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the house, judging the people of the land. Here we read of this young king, very young when he begins to reign, only 16 years old, and 51 years did he reign as king. That's a long period of time compared to most of the kings. And yet, we read that he was struck with leprosy 
And many of his years, he lived what we call in a several house. He had to live outside of Jerusalem, for he was a leper. God struck him. And we're going to consider this morning the lessons about worship. We read, first of all, he seems to be a very promising king. It says he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Well, he was a man of equity. We will see later on when we turn to Second Chronicles 26, how he rebuilt the cities, how he was very successful in his early years as a king. And uh, the nation was more or less quite stable. But this man, his heart, we will read, was lifted up in pride. And then God judged him. Now you notice something else that his name, if you look at verse 13, is also called Uzziah, king of Judah. His name is also called Uzziah. So when you turn, if you just turn for a moment to 2 Chronicles 26, verse 1, you see this is the same king. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. So his name is also Uzziah. Last week we considered his father Amaziah. His father was, again, a very proud man. We saw how that man, he even went to Edom, and a prophet went to him and said to him, don't hire the Israelite men. Remember, he hired 100,000 Israelite men to fight. And the prophet said, go to war against Edom, because there were uprisings. Edom were in subjugation for a long period of time to Judah, since the days of David. And he was right to go there. The Lord, by the prophet, said, go and fight. And then, of course, there was some remonstration, wasn't there, with the prophet? What about the, all the talents that I paid these men? Well, he did finally acquiesce, and he did send the men of Israel back, and he won the war despite not having the 100,000 men of Israel with him. But then when he won the war, by the hand of the Lord, he took the gods of the Edomites, remember, back with him, and he began to bow down and to worship those false gods. And it seemed for a while that judgment didn't come to him, but it finally did, didn't it? Well, that man was slain. This is the father of Uzziah, king of Judah. And we see something running in the family. But let me say, it runs in mankind. And that's the propensity to do our own will and not the will of God. The human heart, my friend, is deceitful above all things. And sin has spread to all men. Man is very proud. And when the Word of God says something, man very often like an animal, gets up on his hind legs and says, no, I'll not do this. I'll not bow down to God. I'll do things my own way. Well, this man will be judged. It seems that he's got a promising start. It says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. There is what I would call, and we will see, an outward godliness. 
He was a good king in the respect, as we will see in a moment, in Second Chronicles 26, there was order in the land. Uh, there was equity. Uh, things were upright. He was successful. He built up many of the cities that had crumbled. Uh, he was a good king in that sense. And that just reminds us that God still, although a man may, may be unregenerate, there's still relative good, and that's only because of God. And God is keeping this nation until the final time that he will judge them. Not long from now, we see here his name is Uzzah, Uzziah. And uh, we know that the prophet Isaiah, as we read there from Isaiah chapter 6, that the year that Uzziah died, that Isaiah saw the, the Lord in the temple. And that's very significant. We'll consider that this morning. But first of all, this outward godliness of this king, verse 3, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Now we know that his father Amaziah did many wicked things, but he did many good things. He sought to protect the land, but the sad thing is he never gave glory to God when God gave the victory over Edom. When God prospered him. He was good in that sense. So I hope we understand that. The right here does not mean that he was upright, that he was God-fearing. He, In fact, you will see today, far from it, this man was not God-fearing. He was very brazen. He was like so many of the other kings that we've seen, proud, arrogant, and God humbled him. In fact, when he was struck by leprosy, his son reigned as a vice-regent for many years in his stead. Now, we begin to see, as we did, his father, Amaziah, the compromises that, remember, Amaziah made those same compromises. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father, Amaziah, had done. Now, notice, and here we begin to find the clue. Here's the crack. And it's always the way. This is not the way of the remnant. This is not the way of God's people. God's people hate error. If I'm to make one point this morning, it's that. If something's not right in the church service, God's people don't like it. If something doesn't comport with God's word, God's people don't like it. And they won't put up with it. The worldly don't like what God likes and don't like what God's people like. And so we shouldn't be surprised if the world rejects true worship. The world will always reject true worship. We've got to accept that and be prepared to live with that. We can't please the ungodly and please God. We thought of it this morning. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God in this world, neither the people of this world can only please one, and that is the Lord. Now notice, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, that is in terms of the nation, to all that his father Amaziah had done. Remember, the Lord judged Amaziah. He wasn't a righteous man. He wasn't a saved man, but he, he wasn't outwardly against the nation. Save, except that the high places were not removed. 
And that was the problem with Amaziah, wasn't it? The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. And this, again, is being raised up, isn't it, again in Scripture? This is just like the, the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. God is reminding us by the Spirit here that he hates this. That God is seeing it from king to king, from generation to generation. And this will finally bring God's judgment upon the nation. And God is not pleased. Again, what are these high places? These are the places, the groves, where men continue to offer up sacrifice and incense unto the Lord. They were saying that we're worshipping the true and the living God, but we're doing it this way. We're offering up a sacrifice. We're offering up incense. Now that was never permitted, my friends, by Moses or anything in the Levitical order that there would be any animal sacrifice outside of Jerusalem. And there's reason for that. Yes, there were as we've said, those Levite cities scattered throughout Israel, and there were those synagogues. But in none of those places was there ever to be animal sacrifice. Never. And no incense to be offered to the Lord. There was to be one central place, and that was Jerusalem. And there's a reason, as we will see this morning. Because all of those things, all of the sacrifices there in Jerusalem were going to point to the sacrifice of the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory. And furthermore, this king, as we will see in a moment, tried to usurp the office of a priest. And there is only one person, my friends, that has that office of king and priest, and that is the Lord Jesus. And it shows that this man's heart was full of pride. And God judged him severely for it. But let's just think for a moment about these high places. We've seen time and time again, haven't we, in the word of God. God is impressing upon us the odiousness of this willful practice that he never sanctioned. It's odious to him. The law of God never sanctioned, never commissioned these high places. Three times a year, the men of Israel had to go up to one central place, and that was Jerusalem. There was also the golden calf worship. Here we're thinking about Judah, the nation Judah in the south. But in Israel, there was the golden calf worship. That was never sanctioned neither in Dan or Bethel, but neither were these high places in the groves, these secret places where people went. This is what people liked. Now, as we will see, these high places, what were they doing? They were wrenching away all of the promises pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Because that's what Jerusalem spoke about. That's what the temple of Solomon spoke about. Remember it was first the, 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 the tabernacle in the wilderness. Then there was a permanent place which Solomon built. All of those sacrifices were pointing 
to the Lord Jesus. Paul in Hebrews says they were shadows of good things to come. Pictures of the truth, says the Apostle Paul. So that in Hebrews 13, 11, he says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, and it was only the high priest, are burned without the camp that's outside of Jerusalem. Wherefore Jesus also, and here you have it, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. All of those Old Testament sacrifices just outside of the camp, there in Jerusalem, were pointing sinners that there would one day come the one who John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's what they were doing. And you see, so these high places were saying, Well, there's another way you can approach God. And there's another place. But it's only through the one who would become the Lamb, who is both priest and king forever, as we sang in Psalm 110, after the order of Melchizedek. It's only through him that we have acceptance to God. Jerusalem was the only place where sacrifice and incense could be offered up. So these high places as it were, were a move away from divine revelation and from divine truth that the Scriptures were constantly pointing to. That's what we will see. When men say, we are going to do what we want to do, we will approach God and we will have our own self-style kind of worship, my friends, it paves the way to false religion. It paves the way to complete apostasy and that's what you will see now in this man. You see, when we approach God's word, we approach it reverently. And we approach him reverently. God is holy. And we don't trifle. If God has said something, my friend, let me say it. Can I say it loud and clear? Woe to you if you do not obey what God's word says. Woe to you. God has said in his word, Psalm 89, verse 7, God is greatly to be feared. Not a little bit to be feared, but greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. That's here. And to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. We read that last week. And again in Hebrews 12, I remind you again what we read in verse 28. Wherefore we... Being Christians, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Do you know what godly fear is? That's a fear to offend him. That's what godly fear is. It's a fear to offend him. While we know God is love, And you know, that does not mean that God turns a blind eye to sin. As we will see, God does not change. God judges sin. And we read, with godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. God does not change. Now, thirdly, you'll see, not only have we seen that there was in this man this 
worshipping in the high places and he didn't remove that, he didn't deal with that in Judah, neither was it dealt with in Israel. But we will see the Lord's judgment upon this king. And it's, it's not very apparent in this chapter, that's why we'll have to turn in a moment to 2 Chronicles 26. But notice verse 5, And the Lord smote the king, so that he was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house. That's a house outside of Jerusalem. And Jotham the king's son was over the house, so he was a sort of a vice-regent in the place of his father. His father was still king, but he, he ruled in his place. 51 years is a long time, isn't it? Judging the people of the land. So here we read that the Lord smote this king, Uzziah, with leprosy. Now, if you just turn with me there to Second Chronicles 26, and what we glean from this chapter, let me just give a very brief introduction. Verse 1 to 15, we see it, it's a tremendous, he did many tremendous things in Judah. We have the account in verses 1 to 15 of his early reign and the great military exploits that he had in taking back many of the cities and things seemed to be in order. So he did what was right concerning the nation in terms of its military might and setting and establishing many things in the land. It seemed to be justice and equity and so on. But I want you to notice that his heart began to be lifted up in pride. And think of it for a moment. Military success under the hand of God, and it only comes by the hand of God, it should have humbled him, but it didn't. And it proves that he, I believe, that he was not a God-fearer. Verse 16. Notice Second Chronicles 26, verse 16. But when he was strong, and that's very striking, isn't it? His heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed, notice, the Lord, his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. You see, here's a king, let's just imagine for a moment, here's a king who tolerated, and perhaps we don't even know, encouraged these high places. That was wrong, wasn't it? And what did that mean? It actually meant that he had no respect for the holy place. You see, if you tolerate false worship, it means that you have no respect for true worship, doesn't it? If you tolerate that which is wrong against God, you do not really respect what is right. That's what the Word of God is telling us. He went in, he thought he could just waltz in and offer up incense where he was never meant to be. It was only the high priest and the priests that could enter that place. But he thought he could. He had no regard for God, really. And let me say, so many are like that today. And what is at the heart of it? It, well, it, we're told here, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to destruction. Why? There's pride here, isn't there? That's the problem with false worship. 
God will just accept what I want to give him, and I can do what I want. And we have here a warning ignored in the first place. Notice, just before, if you notice, just before he goes up and offers this incense, there is a solemn warning that is given to him. It's not that he wasn't warned about this. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Look at verse 17. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord. Eighty priests! Could you imagine that? Eighty priests resisting you. And here they're not standing up against an ordinary man, but one who is the king, one who had great power. Because they knew of the great power and the anger of the Lord. And they're warning the king, stop! Don't do this! Imagine the solemn scene. Here's Azariah, first of all the high priest, went in after him. And following him, Four score, that's 80 priests. They cried out and they withstood him. Now this would have been quite something, wouldn't it? The king was the highest figure in the land. And they withstood Uzziah, verse 18, the king, and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Were they just quoting the Old Testament, the law, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Do you remember what happened when Aaron's sons offered up strange fire? How the Lord consumed them in an instant. And Aaron said, it is the Lord. And there was silence. He knew the judgment of God had come. And these people surely... These priests had remembered the history books are very clear. But this king has no regard for God because he's been compromising with the high places. No respect, therefore, for the things of God. And they're saying, surely this is dishonoring to God. You should know the law. And my friends, God is not to be mocked. But notice the ungodly king, the wrath of the king. Then Uzziah, verse 19, was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead. You see, he hadn't even offered it. Already God struck him. Then Uzziah was wroth. And had a censer in his hand. He's about to do it. To burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead. Can't imagine the scene. I could see it. Suddenly struck with this. And we read in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hast thou to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper 
unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. What humiliation this man experienced. I mean, for the rest of his reign. Think of it here, the earlier part of this chapter, a very successful man in terms of what he did. And that caused him to be proud in heart. I can do what I like, when I like. Nobody's going to tell me, not even the high priest. And he completely ignores the word of God. And so he has to live in a house, a several house, was outside of the camp of Jerusalem. In Leviticus 13, we read, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put on a covering upon his upper lip. This was what he would have to do. And shall cry, Unclean, unclean, all the days wherein the plague shall be in him. He shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone without the camp shall his habitation be. Well, several indicates free. He was free from Israel. But not free from the wrath of God, my friends. He was outside the camp. And this is a solemn warning. He lived alone before he had the people. This is a picture, isn't it, of sin. Leprosy is a picture of sin. And sin separates. You see, if we disobey God... If we disobey what he says, there are grave consequences. He has to live. And, and by the way, what we will see is that he wasn't even buried with the kings. He was buried outside of Jerusalem. It's a picture, you know, too, of those who died disobedient to the Lord. All the kings died in and were buried with the kings. All the godly, but not this man. He is among the dead. In Psalm 88, 55, we read, Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberst no more. They are cut off from thine hand. And he was certainly cut off, wasn't he, from Israel. And Jerusalem, we should say here, and Judah, for all of his reign. It's a solemn scene, isn't it? or the terrible result of sinning willfully against God. And this was willful. Think of what he did before. He did many things, but he can't do them now. Separated. Before he rebuilt the army, he fortified the cities, but his heart was lifted up in pride. Why? Because he wanted to usurp this office of the priest, but he was king. He had everything. We should be content with what God gives us and what God gives us to do. It's a warning, isn't it? I'm reminded too that there were other people who were struck. There was Miriam, remember? And if you, you consider just for a moment the background to Miriam, why she was struck with lip, leprosy. Well, she cried out against Moses because he married an Ethiopian woman. But when you study the whole chapter, when you study the chapter in its context, the reason Miriam, she used that as a pretext. She thought she could get one up on Moses. 
Moses was full in his rights to marry her, but the reason the Lord condemns her, you read the rest of that passage, is because her heart was lifted up in pride. When she went to Moses, she said, why is it you are taking all this power, all this authority? And she murmured against Moses before the camp of Israel. Her, him taking that Ethiopian eunuch was a pretext. She used it as a pretext to grumble against him, to put him down in front of the people because she was envious, because she was jealous. That's the context. Pride. Pride. She was struck with leprosy. And then there was Gehazi. He wanted riches. He wanted wealth. Well, no one has the license to serve God how they wish, my friends, or to offer up what they think they should offer up to God. God is to be reverenced. God is to be worshipped in the way that he says, not the way we want. God has said that there are seven days in the week, and one day is to be given for him, exclusively for him. And we're not to work, we're to set aside all of our cares and our duties to be with him. It's a privilege to be with God and to be with his people. It's a blessing. It's not a curse. It's for our good. Think of it, we would go mad if God didn't give us one day in seven to rest, would he? But he's given it. We might know him, that we might worship him. We're not called or allowed to desecrate this day. There remains a Sabbath for the Lord's people. Hebrews 4 verse 9. It's a solemn thing, friends, to fall into the hands of the living God, to have envy. He was angry because he couldn't do this. Pride, isn't it? Pride. Pride's a terrible thing in the human heart. Where we say, I will do my will. Doesn't matter what God says. You ruin yourself. And you bring God's wrath down upon you, my friend. Something else. You think of this king here, Uzziah. Or Azariah is called. Same person. If you notice here, Uzziah... What he was, what was he, why was God so angry with this? Well, he, as I said earlier, he was joining the kingship with the priesthood. And this is a solemn thing. These two offices, and the priests warned him about this, were never to be joined. Because only in the Lord Jesus Christ are these two offices fulfilled. The priest's office spoke about Christ to come. The king's office also spoke about the Christ to come. And there's only been one figure, one shadow in the Old Testament, and we've sung of him, Melchizedek. Remember the king and priest of Salem? Remember when Abraham went out to rescue Lot? We'll turn there in just a moment. And... When he did bring Lot back, what did he do? Well, there was Melchizedek, 
And Melchizedek came out with the bread and the wine. It's a wonderful picture. There's a foreshadowing of Christ. And Abraham gave him his tithes, didn't he? He was both king and priest. And there was never another figure like that in all of the Old Testament. And by the way, Melchizedek was not from the tribe of Levi, was he? And that's true of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. Only one. And we are told, are we not in Genesis? Remember when God gave the promise to Jacob that there will come one from the tribe of Judah who shall tread that winepress. He alone who is king. He alone who would offer up himself the king of glory would lay down his own life that he would become the lamb. The shepherd becomes the lamb. What this king is doing here, some may not realize it. There's maybe a lot of things you don't realize in Scripture. But divine revelation was given that this office of king and priest would only be given to one person. We sang it there in Psalm 110 of the king that shall lift up his head. The one who sits as the lamb who is the sacrifice, and who is the high priest. We sang it there in Psalm 110, Thou art a priest forever. But he is also in that psalm, if you go home and look at it this afternoon, he is also called the king, the Lord Jesus. It's tremendous. But you see, this king wasn't really interested in spiritual things. He was interested in only promoting himself. And who are you priests to tell me what to do? Well, Genesis 4.18, we read when Abraham came back and brought the spoil back and rescued Lot. Genesis 4.18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and blessed him, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and Blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now, this Melchizedek, Paul speaks, if you're a mature Christian, you've begun to understand who Melchizedek is. When Paul wrote to the Hebrews, he said, you're not mature enough. He said, I would love to tell you about Melchizedek. You're not able to take it in. You're babes. You're infants spiritually. You can't take it in. By this time you ought to be teachers, he says. Well, this Melchizedek, Hebrews 7, 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High. Salem, by the way, is the old name for Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Salem meaning peace. And he is Mel, meaning King, Kezedek, King of Righteousness. And he is King also of Salem and Priest of Salem, King of Peace. Well, it's a tremendous passage. I urge you, encourage you to read it, speaking of Christ. Well, Uzziah was lifted up in pride. 
Because he's bringing together these two distinct offices. Being king, you see, for him was not enough. Not enough. You see, his invention here was motivated by pride. And there was really a disregard for what God hated. And a disregard for what was holy. Let me come back to what I said earlier. If you accommodate that which is false, it shows, my friend, that you have no regard for what is holy. Can I repeat that? If you accommodate and indeed different to that which is unholy, you have no regard to what is holy. That was this king. You see, Uzziah was a successful man on the battlefield. But how that made him very high-handed. And it's a warning. There are people, and even, we could say, even successful Christians in the world and they, they try to treat the church as a business. You know, and well, they want office, they want this, they want, they want prominence in the church. You can't mix the two. It's a warning. Yes, the Lord gifts men. But you know, we have to be happy with what God has called us to. If he has gifted you to a particular office, you serve in that office. You don't lift yourself up in pride. That was this man. He wasn't content to just be a king. A king is enough, isn't it? Surely. But it's pride, isn't it? To want more and more and more. And what the Lord did was he struck this man with leprosy. Not only was he kept, and you think about it, he couldn't reign as king. All the power, God's taken his power as king. And his son is put in his place. If you notice in verse 22, even in his death, he was separated from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the Acts, verse 22 of Isaiah, first and last did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write. Do you notice that there? Now the rest of the Acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah. Didn't we read from Isaiah 6 earlier, didn't we? The prophet the son of Amos, right. So Uzziah slept with his fathers. Now notice, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. Now the other kings, like his son, were buried in the tombs in Jerusalem, but different for him. You see, so even in death he was separated. It's quite striking, isn't it? And it's a warning to us. We read of his son. So Azariah slept, 2 Kings 15 verse 7, with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, verse 7 of 2 Kings, but not this man outside. And it's a warning. You see, those who will do their own thing will be separated. And we don't know ultimately the state of this man's soul, but I think it comes as a warning. Those who were just in pride elevate themselves over God's word. God will humble. God will humble. Now, it's very striking, if you just turn as we seek to make a close now, 
If you turn to Isaiah 6, verse 1, I find it very striking that the Lord should appear in the temple in the very year that this man dies. I think that's no incident, no coincidental thing. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe everything is planned by Almighty God. And you think of it through this time, God is, as he struck this king, God has been very displeased, hasn't he, with this king? And the, and the people who were defiant with this kind of worship in the groves, in the high places. Now notice Isaiah 6.1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And the Lord cried, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. This was the year that this king died. The Lord came and he visited the temple. And then Isaiah, the prophet here, he was in the temple. He said, I saw the Lord. And he recognized himself. He says, I'm undone, verse 5. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My friends, that is a true Christian. That's a believer. He sees him or herself to be unclean. And cannot approach God like this foolish king did. And who did Isaiah see? We're told in John 12 that he saw the Lord Jesus. We read it there in John 12. He saw the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is not lower than the Father. We read here, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. One God. Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. You can't get any holier than holy, so don't think holy, holy, holy is three times holy. But God is one in three persons, and we're told, the Lord says, notice, if you notice, verse 8, verse 7, he laid that live coal, and by the way, that coal was taken from the altar and the fat of the animal would touch upon that coal. And there's a picture of cleansing by the sacrifice. And it's only, my friends, by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus that the sinner is cleansed. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But I want you to notice verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? And who will go for us? Us! God is one! Yet in three persons. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image. There at the Tower of Babel, when God saw men, their hearts were lifted up in pride, building up this tower thinking they could reach heaven. God said, let us Go down and confound them. 
My friend, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, who shall I send and who will go for us? God is one. You notice there, yet in three divine persons of the Godhead. Then said I, here am I, send me. That was Isaiah. And Isaiah, God began to minister through him and warn of the judgment that was impending upon this nation. If they did not depart, God would bring his wrath upon this nation and upon Israel, not only Judah, and nation, but Israel. And then finally, I want you to see, coming back, in verse 8 to 12, we must conclude. The word fulfilled, spoken by the prophet Elisha to Jehu. I want you to notice there's a, a prophecy here. In the 30th and 8th year of Azariah, king of Judah, as Uzziah did, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reign over Israel in Samaria. That's in the north. Six months, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Now notice, and Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and smote him before the people and slew him, and he reigned in his stead. And then we're told, and the rest, look at verse um, 11 and 12, and the rest of the acts of Zechariah, behold, are they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Now notice, this was the word of the Lord, which he spake unto Jehu, saying, Thy sons shall sit on the throne of Israel unto the fourth generation. And so it came to pass. Do you remember wicked king Jehu? Because he did what the Lord had told him to do, to slay the other kings, and yet he himself was wicked. Yet God still said, I will keep your family line to the fourth generation to rule. But finally, that dynasty is wiped out now. What are we reminded of there? It's interesting, isn't it? By providence... God's providence, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, murdered him. There was a conspiracy that came up, and that was no accident. Wicked men slew him. And the Lord, how did he do it? He removed the common restraints of other men so that this man was slain. In that, the Lord judged him for his sins because he carried on in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. But it was all done by providence, that's striking, isn't it? By God's providence. And it was the fourth generation. What was the promise? 2 Kings 10.30 And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. What is that telling you and me, friends? God is over everything. And he fulfills his word. Always. That's why we better take heed. The scriptures say, behold, your sin will find you out. And unless we are of the spirit of Isaiah, Lord, I am an unclean man. 
of unclean lips. I have an unclean heart, Lord. Humble me. I need thy son. I need to approach in a right way. Isaiah's lips were touched with that coal. But Uzziah, think of it, was struck by the Lord who thought he could just do as he will with his own censer and offer up and usurp the office of the priest. And God brought his judgment upon that man. I'm telling you, we are living in a world that hates true worship. And there are so many in the church that despise God. Do not reverence his name. God is not mocked. He never will be. A man in his pride will go his own way, but God will bring him to destruction. Let us worship God with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. Look, I tell you this, it's amazing. I must close with this. When we consider the Lord Jesus, God did not spare him, did he? Paul says, God spared not his son. When he went to the cross, he couldn't spare him because he was bearing the sin of his people. He had to be forsaken. And he was willing to be forsaken. Now, if he was willing to be forsaken, should we not forsake all for Christ? Should we not put away our pride, our arrogancy, and our foolishness? We should. The scripture says, he who humbles himself, God will exalt. But he who sits in pride, God will humble. Greatly humble. Amen.